You're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Didn't you coach Burt Reynolds? Yes, I did. Was he any good? He was a defensive back. I know. Was he any good, I said. 103.9 FM LI News Radio presents The Weekend Crunch with Errol Marks and Speedy Petey. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, we are The Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, and my co-host, Speedy Petey. <laughs> My voice is cracking, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, you can listen to us every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. I've been dealing with just being sick all week. I didn't have COVID-19, as COVID-19 is slowly but surely disappearing out of the face of the earth. And we're talking about hospitals taking their COVID-19 facilities out of the hospitals now. It's crazy. Automatically, it just completely disappears, Speedy. It was around for two years, and now it's almost gone. But this is flu season, and I had a piece of the flu. I've been dealing with sinus infections, losing my voice. But I'm happy to be here, Speedy. How are you feeling? It's a beautiful Saturday. How, how are you feeling? Today? Yes, good to see this warmer weather back. I'm feeling better for sure, too. I was, I was dealing with some stuff during the week, but a lot better now. I hope you end up feeling better. I know you had some issues with your car as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. I'll uh, tell you. And there's hope that nothing. gets better soon, too. There is nothing good when you talk about a car. I find out over the last couple of days that there was oil getting into my coolant adapter is now bad. So now... Being that I have a Chrysler, my friend has to take apart my whole car and put in new oil, have a new filter put in, new valve in for my oil. I I don't know. I'm not a car guy. I'm a sports guy. And we have a great show lined up for you guys tonight. We will be talking to Draft Countdown managing partner and analyst Shane Hallam. This guy is a star. When it comes to draft and, and understanding where the draft is going and where some of these players are going and what type of players these teams are going to be looking for. This is the guy. His blogs are some of the best blogs in the country. There's so many people that follow this guy. This is the second time he's been on our show and he loves to come on a show and he's just a great, great interview. We will get into the combine, which is going on right now as we speak. We'll talk about the quarterback play as one quarterback's hand is not big enough to play in the NFL. I'll tell you why that's a crocker. you know what. We We'll get into some of the wide receivers that really have stood out. These guys are lightning fast, and today it was the defensive linemen. So we will get into the combines and where some of the New York teams could be looking at. Obviously, the Giants at 5-7, and seven, the Jets at 4-10. and 10. And Hallam is going to give you so much information. So get ready for it. If you guys like and you're looking forward to your teams, where some of these players are going to go, or some of these talented young players are going to go, listen to this guy. He's as good as anybody in the business. I'm talking about better than ESPN, better than CBS, better than all of them. I'm telling you, this guy knows what he's talking about. So stay tuned for that. We'll get into the NBA. There's nothing good to talk about with both teams. The Brooklyn Nets, the only good thing right now is Kevin Durant is back. That's about it. And he's still figuring things out. Ben Simmons doesn't look like he's going to play for three weeks. Kyrie Irving still is not playing a home game, so we don't know where that's going. When you talk about the Knicks, well, the only thing we could talk about the Knicks is how many bricks Julius Randle is going to be laying after the game. Maybe it's, him and Ben Simmons just start a construction company. Oh, uh, maybe they should. And maybe Tom Thibodeau will be their foreman. And he'll probably overwork them. <laughs> probably will. And that's probably why none of them will be on the team by the end of the year. On the forces of the constructing team. But anyways, we will get into 
the Brooklyn Nets and the New York Knicks as well. And uh, we'll have Moneyline Mania with Chaz and Wes. These guys are great guys, and we have a little bit of fun with them. We talk a little. We giggle a little bit. But when it comes to making their picks and, and going through parlays and where you should take the points in certain games, these are the guys. I'm telling you guys, if you want to win money, listen to this segment, Moneyline Mania. And then, obviously, crunch time. Anyways, why don't we get into the combine? And going into the combine, I know everybody can't wait for this because what does it mean? Uh, it means the draft's around the corner. Free agency is going to open up in a couple of weeks. So wherever you see these players to be on your list and where you think you could draft them in this year's draft, you're going to decide on where you're going to go in free agency. But watching the combine on the NFL Network, not only is it grueling, it's absolutely boring. And some of the things that they talk about has nothing to do with the combine. I just want to let you guys know. So why don't you just put it on mute and just watch what's going on? Because listening to these guys, some of them have absolutely no idea what they're talking about. And that's why we have Shane Hallam on, because he, he actually does. But you watch the combine, you wonder, as far as the quarterbacks are concerned, what quarterback is going to stand out this year. Obviously, there's not a quarterback that really is like a Trevor Lawrence or a Zach Wilson or Justin Fields in this year's draft, but there are some interesting quarterbacks in this class. As Pickett had his hands checked, he came up eight and three quarters, and a lot of people think that's not an NFL-style hand. The NFL football is bigger than the NCAA football. There's no question that it is. And you have to play in the cold, you have to play in the snow, and in the rain. You, you could play with the Broncos, you could play in Seattle where it rains all the time. Speedy, does this make a difference? Well, it depends on who's going to draft Pickett as it is. The lead team has seems to be the team they're connected to most is his former school city, the Steelers. It seems like the most likely for that kind of thing. Now, if you're going to do that, you're going to be subject to those inclement weather conditions, too. You're going to be playing in Cincinnati and Cleveland and Baltimore, which also have these weather conditions as well, and the Steelers themselves. So it's definitely something that he's going to have to adjust in terms of ball security, in terms of sensing pressure as his number one thing to try to learn in his game. And that'll be dealt with with coaching too, but no matter where he goes, if he's going to want to start for that team, he's going to have to learn that kind of thing. Now, in terms of the other quarterbacks, we saw some impressive showings from Malik Willis in the throwing drills. Desmond Ritter running was a 4.5. He ran like a wide receiver, which shows a lot, and he might do well in the right scheme. Sam Howell looked good in some areas, iffy in others. So, again, there's not going to be a lot of teams drafting quarterbacks in the first round as it is. Maybe Washington at 11 might be the earliest one. The Broncos are going to probably try for a trade for a big-name quarterback, so likely their number 9 pick will be traded to one of those teams, and maybe that team drafts a quarterback, but still, it's likely only probably two or three first-round guys anyway. I mean, when you look at the the hand size, it does affect where some of these teams might look at him and say, okay, I thought he was a 16th pick in the first round, or I thought I think he's the 17th pick in the first round. He's going to drop because of his hand size. I don't really think the hand size has anything to do with the accuracy and what this kid could do in the open field with his arm strength. With the NFL, you have to play in cold places. You have to play in wet places. Does it affect his throwing position? Absolutely. But you can't judge a book by its cover. Tom Brady being one of them. We all know that he was a sixth-round draft pick. Look what Tom Brady has done. Now, obviously, he doesn't have small hands, but he was slow as hell. No muscle tone in his body whatsoever. And look at what Tom Brady became. Tom Brady won seven championships and was one of the greatest, if not the greatest, quarterback to ever play the game. So you can't judge a book by its cover just because of what he looks like, what his hands look like, what his feet look like, because his right toe is bigger than his left toe. It's ridiculous. But this is how the NFL sells their product to the fans, Speedy. Does it make any sense to me? 
No. But again, it's fun to watch. And if you're a fan of your particular football team, like the Jets or the Giants, and you're hearing stories about this guy and you're hearing stories about that guy, and you get to watch him at the Combine, well, Speedy, it's fun to watch. From a New York standpoint, it's very interesting when it comes to the two teams having very similar, not only draft scenarios, but draft positions where they need similar things, too. Both the Jets and the Giants could use pass rushing help. Both the Jets and the Giants could use wide receiver help. Both the Jets and the Giants could use some offensive line help. The Giants need it more than the Jets for the offensive line, but the Jets could still draft a Lyndon Baum. They could still draft one of the interior guys. They could draft Evan Neal if he somehow falls to four. I don't know if he will, but still, it's an option for them, too. And they both have two first-round picks. They both have two top-ten picks, so both of them definitely could go after a receiver. You heard the Jets have a lot of interest with Drake London, and he did not run it at the Combine, but he's going to be doing it at his pro day. And there's plenty of other receivers that look very good. You mentioned Olave and Garrett Wilson, the two Ohio State receivers. Both the Jets and the Giants could also trade back, too, mm-hmm. and maybe get those guys in the middle. I see more with the Jets trading back than the Giants. Or the other option, too, is maybe trade back into the first round with one of their early second-round picks, too, is definitely an option as well, because there could be teams at the back end of the first round, some playoff teams that maybe lack receiving depth that could go after that. So there's different scenarios that they could play in if they want a wide receiver and same thing with the pass rushers too there's a lot of pass rushing depth yes we talk about the top guys all the time but those middle first round picks will have some good players as well when it comes to pass rushers I think the Jets should definitely prioritize a pass rusher with one of those first picks because they just need it so much the Giants definitely could I would want them to but they didn't necessarily have to because they need a lot more things than the Jets need right now in terms of getting that offensive line back going and a lot of the other areas that they have holes in on their defense. So they have so many other areas. The Jets probably should prioritize the pass rusher first, whether it's at four, whether it's at ten. Another scenario for them is Kyle Hamilton. Which is a big story right now. Right. So so let's say they draft Kyle Hamilton at four, too. They might even go after somebody like Ojabo or Jermaine Johnson out of Florida State at ten, or they could trade back and get one of those guys, too, something like that. So they have so many different scenarios, but it's weird to see them have these similar scenarios in one draft season. And the Jets have the most priority draft stock in the NFL. They have two first rounds early. They have two early second-round picks. Mm -hmm. They got one early third-round pick and two early fourth-round picks. So The Jets are positioned very, very well. Kyle Hamilton is a big name that everybody keeps talking about. A lot of Jet fans are not happy about that. As you hear, this kid could be a Sean Taylor type of player. So if he becomes Sean Taylor, it could change the Jets' defense for a very long time. You don't need that top-end pass rusher if you have a Sean Taylor that could absolutely help the secondary of your defense and actually blitz the quarterback and do things that opens up the field for some of the other defensive players. And Carl Lawson's coming back this year. So who knows? And free agency opens up. The Jets could go after a Lawrence or somebody like that on the other side that could help a, a Carl Lawson coming back from injury as well. So there's so many things the Jets could do. As far as the Giants are concerned, like you were saying, Speedy, you look at the offensive line, they definitely need to make that offensive line stronger. Nate Soldier is gone. Good Thomas goodness. is the only really good offensive lineman that they have. Right. Maybe you bring in another tackle. You solidify that tackle position so you have your left and your right tackle for the many, many years to come. There's something that the Giants need to do where you can build around that young quarterback who's getting hit, beaten up at the line of scrimmage. Now, I was also one that was very intrigued on where these other tackles would go. Evan Neal's probably going to go before the Giants pick anyway, so if the Giants were to get Evan Neal, it'd be very lucky in that case, but then against Jacksonville, Detroit, and Houston, you never know what they're going to do, but even so, it's not likely. But the other two tackles were actually impressive in their combine, which proves a lot. Okwono, who, as a guy that played a lot of guard more interior throughout his career at NC State, actually ran very well under five seconds, and Charles Cross as well, the other tackle that's being rumored in the top ten all of a sudden from Mississippi State, 
played Some a very, people put him on as the number one guy. Uh-huh. Played an air raid offense with Mike Leach and for the Giants, they're going to have to, if they're going to take over with Brian Dable's offensive team, they're going to do a lot of passing as well, especially if they do end up trading Saquon Barkley, which seems much more likely now from the stories that we've heard. And that'll be another scenario to look at, too. What will the Giants be able to get back from him? Because if they trade him and James Bradbury, another one being rumored, too, and try to trade off some of these bad contracts, they might get some extra draft picks, too, which will give them leeway to trade up if they need to as well. Maybe they could trade back into the first round like they did in 2019 when they had three first-round picks. Let's hope they don't draft somebody with off-field issues like DeAndre Baker had, but but, well, we all know he was wrongly accused, and well, he should still be a yeah, giant. But still. He still should be a giant. Even when he was on the field, he wasn't playing well. Now he was one year, so we'll see if he would have developed. But still, let's hope they could do better at nailing uh, those uh, Are we really talking about that? I mean, look at who his coach was. He wasn't much of a coach. He was gone pretty quick as well. So you can't blame DeAndre Baker. And, and DeAndre Baker still could have been a great player. It's unfortunate what mm-hmm. happened. Maybe his career would be different, but who knows. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will be talking to Draft Countdown managing partner and analyst Shane Hallam here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, as you know. We are the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android. World Wide Sports Radio Network. I told you guys at the beginning of the show that this guy is as good as anybody in the business. We are now talking to Draft Countdown Managing Partner and Analyst, Shane Hallam. What's going on, Shane? Good. I'll make sure I don't say that Zayvon Collins is a second rounder now. Zayvon uh... <laughs> Collins goes to Arizona, who had a pretty good year if he could stay healthy or stay off getting in trouble off the field. But how are you, Shane? We haven't had you on for, I would say, about six, seven months. How you been? How's everything going? How's your monitoring of the draft going for this year? It's going well. We're doing some good things over Draft Countdown, and I just got done with a six-hour live stream during the Combine, and we're going to be live stream in the next three days as well. So five, six hours a day. It's been good to kind of go back to the film, watch a lot of these combine guys, and now see them all in the same environment. Varying opinions on how much the combine matters and impacts things, but it was a good day watching the drills and seeing these guys perform. It's just been one small piece of the process here as we move forward. As everybody knows, we are talking to Draft Countdown managing partner and analyst Shane Hallam. Shane, throughout the day, you watch these guys. They're jumping, they're running, they're benching. What stands out at these combines? I mean, these guys are wearing practically underwear. And how could you honestly perceive a person to be a great player by just watching them run a route or watching them catch a ball or watching them bench press? Well, what stands out when you watch these combines? I think if you are determining if, if this player is a good player by the combine, then you're doing it wrong, right? That's not what we're here to do. The NFL's inviting 300 of the top prospects already so anyone that's there is probably in that draftable range or priority free agent as it is so we're not talking about any bottom of the barrel players i think what the combine does is 
two things. One is it gives you an apples to apples to apples kind of presentation of these players. You get to see these receivers go back to back to back, running the same route, catching the same football. You get to see the quarterbacks throwing that same route, throwing that same football, same environment, same weather. We don't get to see that at the pro day. I get to compare a guy that threw at Brown, uh, an Ivy League school, to Kenny Pickett throwing a pit, right? And then they get to go back to back and throwing passes. I think that's always nice to see. It's not the be all end all and the film's always going to trump everything, but it allows you to say, oh, that's not what I saw in film. Let me go back and watch it. Or though, that's what I saw. This kind of backs up what, what it is. Then when we look at times, when we look at just what's that 40 time, right? That's what everyone wants. Or what's that bench press, et cetera. I think you can't take all that just on the surface. But there's some players today that ran a lot faster than I thought they played. So I'm going to go back and watch them and say, do they play a lot slower or did I miss something? I think that's a lot of what the combine is. And then when you combine all these numbers, one score that I use instead of just the times is the relative athletic score. What's the size of the player and how do they compare historically against other players of the combine in terms of their explosiveness, their agility, their speed? Take all those times and the size, which a lot of people leave out. You know, if a guy's 170 pounds, he better be a lot faster than a guy that's 211. Mm. So we take all that into account and get a final score. And then I think you can start to see what that athleticism looks like. All right, Shane, let's get out of the way now. This great hand size debate, where do you stand on it? Well, I think it's a little bit overblown, especially for Kenny Pickett himself. I understand that you want to have hands that are nine inches or bigger, like Joe Burrow came in at nine. You're gripping a football. The NFL football is bigger than the college football. So you can't just say, well, they could do it in college. Well, it's a different football here. That being said, Kenny Pickett, his hand is unique. His thumb kind of juts out. And so how they measure the hand is from pinky to tip of thumb, Mm -hmm. not on a football, just straight up. So if he can't bend his thumb all the way back, he's going to get a lower measurement than his hand actually is. And I think that's what's happening. I think his hands, if he can't move his that finger all the way back, probably would be over nine inches. He'd be fine. But he wears the two gloves. That's a problem. He fumbled a lot. That's a problem. I don't think it's necessarily just the hand size, but it's going to be a slight concern. I don't think you, you don't pick him because his hands are a half inch too small. You don't pick Pickett because of his hands. Nice. There you go. We are talking to Draft Countdown Managing Partner and Analyst Shane Hallam. So, Shane, there is a lot of videos and pictures of Evan Neal, who looks unbelievable, 340 pounds. He lost a lot of weight. He looks like he's in the best condition going into this combine. A lot of people are, like, surprised of his size. Are you surprised at Evan Neal's size? And does this hurt or affect anybody from drafting him as the number one pick? I think it's good. Like you said, I think he looks good. I don't need my offensive tackle to be 350 pound plus. You don't necessarily need that if they have the strength and they have that lower body strength. Evan Neal is 6'7". He's really tall. So he's not going to look the same 340 as a guy that's 6'3". Their body's going to look a lot different. Or a 7-footer in the NBA, right? Can be 300 pounds and not look that. So I think that's the thing. He's really tall. I think his athletic ability at that size is ideal. And if he can get a little bit more athletic, a little bit more consistent, I think there were times at Alabama where you saw maybe the weight be a little bit of a problem for him to get to the edge and kind of settle himself. He's a little inconsistent. It's why he's not like a surefire number one overall pick, even if he might go there, because he had some inconsistency in terms of pass blocking. He's a nasty player. 
He is very physical. You can see the upper body strength. I think slimming down a little bit, if it helps with that athleticism and consistency, and he still keeps that nastiness of his run blocking and lower body push, I think it's the best thing that can happen for him. And I think he's squarely in the conversation for number one overall. And if not, he's going to go in the top five. So these receivers projected as middle first round picks and late first round picks a lot of the time. A lot of them did well. Is there any that stood out to you in terms of the three drills that could really help elevate them in terms of what they could be at the NFL level? I think the Ohio State receivers both coming in faster than a 4-4 in terms of the 40 time. Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. I thought Olave in particular looked really good in the drills. Very smooth, almost has this sneaky athleticism where he can get behind you pretty quickly just in how he runs his routes. Whereas I think Wilson's a little more of the pure footwork route runner. So I think those two players maybe established themselves. They're definite first round picks. People are going to feel good about that. The player that people were looking for was Arkansas receiver Traylon Burks, mm-hmm. a guy that a lot of people have as the number one overall receiver in this Speedy class. Does. He came at 225 pounds, big guy, and he ran a 4.55 which some people thought he'd run in the four threes or low four, four. It probably wasn't going to happen at two twenty five. Uh, four five five is really good at that weight. And at his size, he is still an athletic freak. He's still in the top 80 percentile of receivers that have ever worked out at the combine for his numbers. I mean, it's pretty good. So I think Traylon Burks, he lined up mostly in the slot at Arkansas, which is a little bit odd for a player of his size. So I think that's going to be interesting to see what team drafts him and how they utilize him. But I, th- I think he's squarely in the first round. I think those three players, and then we have guys with injuries weren't able to work out today. Jameson, Williams from Alabama, Drake London from USC that I think are up there as well. I think the combine kind of solidified just what I had thought about those players and where their value is. I don't think too much changed in terms of that value, but it might mix up a little bit who goes first and who goes second in that first round. We are talking to Draft Countdown Managing Partner and Analyst Shane Hallam. Kevon Thibodeau is a guy that everybody is looking forward to seeing at this combine. His unbelievable speed, his strength, his conditioning. He also has had some injuries that really has scared people from Oregon, but he was predominantly going to be the number one pick going into this year and this season, but the injuries have really pushed him back. Now they have people saying Hutchinson over him. What are your thoughts to Kevon Thibodeau going into the combine, and do you think he has anything to prove to really move himself back up in the top three in this draft this year? I think he seems to. I'm not sure that he should. I have him as my number one overall player in this class, and I think the reason for that to me is you don't get the explosive first step that he has regularly. I think it's one of the best that I've seen in college football since I've been doing this since 2004. His ability to kind of step out and kind of push the offensive tackle to the outside, spin inside, or vice versa. He uses that athletic first step explosiveness to rush the passer and had a lot of success this year doing that. But it seems like people don't like the injuries, don't like maybe how it played against the run, just want to be a little bit more sure of themselves with what he brings to the table. Is he a complete pass rushing edge rusher? Which Aiden Hutchinson from Michigan is a more complete player. The great game against Ohio State kind of solidified his draft stock and then didn't do much in the playoff game and the bowl game because he was shut down. I think that's what you're looking at and why maybe neither of these guys go number one overall now. I'm interested to see what Thibodeau does. Does he work out? Does he do these drills at the very least? Maybe show off some of that requisite athletic ability and put himself back in that conversation. I think if he ends up falling to the back half of the top 10, maybe further, I think he's going to be an absolute steal and we'll be wondering in five years, how did this happen when he was the number one guy from the time he got out of high school until the end when he just seemed to fall unexpectedly. So there have been rumors, speaking of the number one overall pick, that Jacksonville has been trying to shop it as well because they need a lot, especially on defense. Can you see this kind of thing in a not quarterback class and 
if so, who do you think could be teams that are likely to trade up, if that's the case? No. If I'm a team, I'm not moving to number one overall. The cost of what just number one overall means in a vacuum is too expensive. Now, if Jacksonville's willing to take a heavy discount and you're a team that needs an offensive tackle or an edge rusher, then I think maybe you explore that possibility. So I think we're talking about four players, Evan Neal from Alabama we talked about, the two edge rushers we just talked about, and then Ike McWanu, the offensive tackle from NC State who had a phenomenal season. I think those are the only, the only four guys that I'd be willing to move up there for. And maybe it's a team like Carolina or like the Jets. Jets have a couple picks in that top 10, could move from maybe from 10 to 1 and try to lock up two of the top five players in the draft. I just think it's doubtful. If Jacksonville wants what a number one overall pick typically would get, there's no reason to do that for a non-quarterback. We are talking to Draft Countdown Managing Partner and Analyst Shane Hallam. Now, Shane, we talk about these offensive superstars. This year, there are some good wide receivers, but the running backs, and you could find running backs later in the rounds, the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth rounds, maybe even the seventh, and they could become superstars in this league. Is there a particular running back mid-rounds that really stand out to you where they could be that superstar that you could just sneak attack and and grab them in the third or fourth round and become that power back that you expect them to be. It's a tough class for running backs because I I like a lot of them, Mm -hmm. but to try to identify who that kind of superstar potential is, because I think we have kind of three at the top in Brees Hall from Iowa State. We also have Isaiah Spiller from Texas A&M, Kenneth Walker from Michigan State. I think those guys are gone before that third, fourth round that you're talking about. I really like Tyler Allgaier running back from Mm -hmm. BYU. He's a player that has that kind of big... 220 pound frame if he's even in the four fives then I think at his size that's going to be really good now he has some vision issues really did well this past season after Zach Wilson left they kind of relied on the run game uh, I think all is really intriguing a late round pick that I like too is Damian Pierce out of Florida yeah. had a good senior bowl too he's another stocky kind of 5'8 220 he runs like he wants to run right through you and run you over he wants to get physical I like those players I think those are players that can excel at that level. And then my deep sleeper in this class is Pierre Strong, the running back out of South Dakota State, a small school player, uh, 202 pounds, catches the ball really well. I really like his cutting ability. I think in a one-cut scheme and his own blocking scheme, he could be kind of that sleeper that's a James Robinson type who comes in out of nowhere and really does well. So I think if you're looking running back, don't hesitate to wait till day three, maybe pick two of them. I think we could get a couple Elijah Mitchell-esque rises this season from some of these running backs. So you brought up a lot of these lesser-known schools, these smaller schools, and I've seen a lot of mock drafts in the first round that have a lot of these smaller school guys, more than I usually see. The tackle, Trevor Pinnell from Northern Iowa, is getting up there. I've seen the linebacker, Chad Muma from Wyoming, in the mix. Christian Watson is one on Twitter that everybody seems to love for fantasy football more, but I've seen as being a top receiver in this class. Do you think that could become more of a norm just based on the data that's now available, or do you still think it'll be competition-based and like strength of the power five conferences. I think the small school players are rising up in a lot of ways. A, I think we see the competition at the high end FCS. And we're talking Northern Iowa and the Missouri Valley conference. We talk North Dakota state, South Dakota state. There's good competition now at the high end of FCS level. Some of those teams are going to be moving up into the FBS pretty soon. But I think small school players, because now the film's out there, you can access it. 
people can see and watch these players. I think they're going to continue to be on the rise. I really like Trevor Penning from Northern Iowa. Christian Watson, I wrote an article in early January where I think his career trajectory will be similar to Cooper Cup. He gets drafted, maybe third round, and ha has a year kind of getting acclimated and then just, just breaks out in like year three. I think these small school players you watch at the Senior Bowl this year did not have that kind of catch up that usually those small school guys need like a day to just get settled. That didn't happen this season. So I do think the small school players, something to look out for this year and next year, you're going to start seeing more and more compete with these SEC, ACC type players. Offensive line really is part of where this league is transitioning to. If you don't have a good offensive line, you don't have a good defensive line, don't even think that you're going to win a championship. And there's a player right now in the draft that's falling. I'm surprised. Tyler Lindenbaum. If you look at every draft board, this kid keeps falling to the 20s. He could be a top 10 pick. I think he's the best center in this year's draft. He reminds me of a Nick Mangold. A little bit faster, more edgy type of player. He's mean. What what are your thoughts right now when you look at Tyler Lindebaum? Why is he falling at a lot of people's draft boards? I think he's one of the most fun players in this class to watch. Papa in Iowa, it's hard not to notice how good Tyler Linderbaum is at moving guys off the line. And I mean, he gets nasty. Basically, there's two reasons he's falling. One is position. Center, historically, I don't think we've had a top 10 pick at center since the merger. So teams generally have not considered the center position to be quite as important. I think part of that is the analytics of it. Center is the one position where athleticism does not correlate to NFL success. So basically, like it's the one position where, to me, I would think center is where you want an athletic guy, but doesn't necessarily have that much of an impact. The other thing with Linderbaum, outside of just position, is he's under 300 pounds. And I think that's a tough sell above Nick Mangold. You mentioned was, I think he was in the high 300s, 307, 308. So I think it's a hard sell for teams to say, we're going to take this guy in the top 15. He weighs 292. How's he going to go up against these 330, 340 pounders? I think Tyler Linderbaum can do it. If it was me, I have him top 15 on my board. I wouldn't hesitate to take him there. He can even play guard if, if you're really scared about the center thing. Also, the center class is absolute garbage outside of him. I don't know if there's another center that you pick before the fourth or fifth round. No. So if you want one, you better take Tyler Linderbaum or you're <laughs> taking a guard that's never snapped the football and hoping he can. So I think that should play into it. And I think he could pop back up there before all said and done. You mentioned a chrono before as somebody that you have in your top four of, of what you think could end up happening. What do you like about him in terms of that rise that we've seen? Because I've mostly seen him in like the mid first round previously, maybe borderline top 10. And now is all of a sudden rising. What do you see in him that makes him up there? I think he was a guy when he came into the season, people didn't really have him on the radar. NC State is not a super high profile school, but Ekwanu from almost game one, which is a dominant left tackle. He was a player when you watch NC State, I mean, he is pancaking guys almost every single play. He loves to get out and kind of lead block. So in terms of run blocking, phenomenal best in the class easily. And then you saw him develop over the season in terms of his footwork and kick slide and be able to handle some of these ACC pass rushers that have some of that elite athletic ability. So now you have a guy that can just essentially kick ass at run blocking and he's showing off the footwork to stick with some of these more athletic, smaller edge rushers. And that's exactly what you want in the NFL. If you have that player, you can just seal off that side of the line, run behind that side of the line and feel confident. I think that's what people like. He's one of those players that has great size, has good movement ability, 
kind of a little bit late riser. People didn't have him doing too much coming into the season. He played guard for a little while at NC State. I just think he's phenomenal and can be that complete package, perhaps. We are talking to Draft Countdown Managing Partner and Analyst Shane Allen. The New York Giants drafting at 5-7. and seven. They're positioned very, very well. This is a very important draft. You have a new GM. You have a new coach. They have to solidify this team. They have to really put a stamp in this year's draft to say this is where we're going. This is where we're going to move forward as an organization. Where do you see the Giants at 5-7 and seven going? at those positions? I think it's kind of down to three positions for me. I think offensive tackle, we just talked how important that is. If one of those, Evan Neal, Ike McWanu falls, I think that's a run to the podium and hand in the pick. If not, I really like Charles Cross, the offensive tackle from Mississippi State, playing in a Mike Leach offense. He had a pass block all the time. Super great feet, really athletic. The player that could fall down to that second pick of theirs and be an interesting choice. Edge rusher, they, they need to add pass rush. I think the defense is pretty solid, but I really like this next tier. Once again, it's Kayvon Thibodeau fall. I would think you should consider him if he does clear that up. I think uh, George Karlofidis from Purdue is a player who seems to be following a little bit in people's eyes, but I think his workouts, the combine will, will bring him back up into the top 10. David Ajabo from Michigan on the other side of Aiden Hutchinson could be intriguing picks. And then I say the secondary, maybe the fifth best player in this class, maybe the Number one overall player in this class is Kyle Hamilton, the safety out of Notre Dame. Wow. He's a player that I compare as a prospect to Sean Taylor. He's wow. that type of size at 6'4", 220 pounds, allegedly going to run like a 4'4", something 40. The Jets um, love and him. You, and you can see that on film. He, mm-hmm. he runs across the field and makes interceptions out of nowhere. Like you want, a, you want a game-changing player, I think he could be that. And then Sauce Gardner, the corner out of Cincinnati, didn't allow a touchdown his, <laughs> his entire career. You know, 6'2", 188. He's someone who's going to run really well. Pretty much shut down Jameson Williams in, in the playoff game. I think he's maybe a consideration after some of the some of the issues with uh, rookie corners that the Giants have had. You brought up Hamilton and also on the offensive side too, we're seeing a lot of these hybrid players take shape as being not only dominant forces, but being more prominent throughout the league. So can you see this kind of thing taking shape as being more of a norm and maybe taking on the majority rather than just the pure wide receiver or the pure corner type thing? Like Kyle Hamilton, he's a play all over the place. And you saw him do that this year after Owusu went to the Browns last year's draft. So can you see that kind of thing taking a norm where they prioritize that even more in the first round rather than just being the quote unquote like gadget players or hybrid players? I think it's coming to that as the college landscape kind of adapts. I think we're going to see those kind of players on both sides of the football have a little more impact in terms of like safety to linebacker type Daxton Hill from Michigan super athletic lined up a lot in the nickel played nickel corner but he's a safety and he can play deep and he can play you're going to use him in so many different ways depending on what the offense does I think that's big and I think on the offensive side you're right too and we saw Kadarius Tony with the Giants get drafted last year and more of that hybrid role an interesting guy not a first rounder but maybe second day is Wandell Robinson out of Kentucky played running back at Nebraska transferred to Kentucky played receiver receiver 58 played outside and tough he played like he was a six foot guy so I think you could use him as in a running back role and handing the ball off you could do a lot of different things with him I think teams want that kind of player even if maybe us fantasy guys aren't going to love that they don't get a ton of yards or a ton of touchdowns but when you have that type of electric player it makes defenses know what's happening and on the other side of the ball same thing 
like I said, with the Daxton Hill or with some of these big safeties like Sterling Weatherford out of Miami could play a little linebacker, Nick Cross from Maryland. I, I think there's a lot that you have to account for and know where those players are, and that helps you win games. You look at the Cowboys, and they made a very good first-round pick last year. They bring in the defensive rookie of the year. He was fabulous. Everybody that thought Michael Parsons in the background of him – from Pennsylvania, the gang-related people that he hangs out with. It wasn't going to work in New York, but it worked with the Cowboys. The Cowboys who like to bring in players that just aren't very nice. But Michael Parsons had a great year. Is there somebody that stands out in this year's draft that can really put the Cowboys over the top this year? They are going to lose pieces in, in free agency because they don't have the money. So you know they're going to have to build around the draft. They hit it on Michael Parsons. Is there a player in this year's draft on where they're positioned to draft where they can just nail it and, and get another Michael Parsons? I think those players exist. I don't think you're going to get someone where they're drafting at the high profile of Micah Parsons. You're looking at, at strengthening those lines mm-hmm. if you're Dallas, right? I think it's going to be offensive or defensive line. I think one intriguing player on the defensive side, maybe to give you a little bit of interior pass rush, free up a guy like Micah Parsons to play a little more of that variety role and let your pass rushers kind of pin their nose back is Travis Jones from UConn. Someone's kind of gaining steam. 326 pounds, has that nose tackle body, but can kick outside to be an edge rusher if you need him to. He's a three-down player, has really good pass rush ability. Senior Bowl, absolutely dominant. UConn, like who wants a player from UConn? One of the worst teams in FBS this year. You watch UConn's defense. I don't know if there's any player outside of Travis Jones that would even play in the USFL. He was getting double-teamed, triple-teamed, and still making plays. (laughs) I think that's the type of player the Cowboys need, just someone that – you have to account for what we have to account for Micah Parsons. You start getting to, to the passer. We saw how that worked last year, turn into big plays for the defense. That'd be the guy that I'd pick. But I think Dallas is tough this year to predict because Jerry Jones can go a number of different ways. And there, there's going to be a couple holes there, like you said. Uh, but I, I think Travis Jones would be a great fit. With your Steelers. So number one, there's a rumor that's come out that they're looking at Lewis Riddick to be their next GM. So what would you think of that? And number two, I know you mentioned the last time we had you on the show that you would want a veteran quarterback to transition, not take a quarterback this year if you're the Steelers. So what direction would you want to see the Steelers go in a particular prospect? I've heard O-line. I've heard secondary for corners. I know you mentioned on the last show you're not a huge Derek Stingley fan. You thought he was a bit overrated. But if he falls to the Steelers, I don't know if you could be mad at that kind of thing. So what direction would you go in if you were the Steelers? I think Lewis Reddick would be super interesting. The Steelers are definitely doing their due diligence. So whoever they hire, I'll probably be fairly confident in. I'm still hoping for an internal hire. I think Omar Khan, kind of the business side, he had done wonders with it. If they could pair him with someone that knows scouting, I think it's a way to go like the Vikings are right now. I'll take Derek Stingley at 20. If you want to give it to me, I'll still take him. I didn't think he was a top five player. He's kind of fallen out, fallen behind Sauce Gardner. I think mm-hmm. it's kind of come to fruition now. If it was me, I would want an interior offensive lineman. We talked about Tyler Linderbaum. If he's somehow there, I'd run that card up. I don't know if they would, but I I definitely would. I really like the guard Kenyon Green from Texas A&M. I think he's someone they've already interviewed. He mentioned at the Combine, 325 pounds, 6'4", was a big part of the reason they beat Alabama. He was making holes. I think Najee Harris find him, that right guard, as a place that they need to fill up. The quarterback position, if Malik Willis from Liberty falls to 20, then I think the Steelers will take him. 
And I'd be fine with that. I think he has some development to go. Maybe you still start Mason Rudolph and you can sit Malik Willis down. Maybe this is me being a bad fan, but I almost would rather just go with Mason Rudolph. It's not going to be good. And the Steelers probably aren't going to be good this year, no matter who the quarterback is. They're not trading for Aaron Rodgers or anything like that. So I'm fine going with Mason Rudolph or sign a Mitch Trubisky to a year or two deal and just see if you can build the offensive line back get the defense back to where it needs to be, and then look next year at the 2023 class, a much better quarterback class, and then I think you draft your You're not the only Steelers fan who said that either. I've heard a lot of times they just want to keep Mason Rudolph. And I also give you credit, too. You mentioned Stingley Falling. Ever since we had you on the show last time, I've seen him more in the 10 through 15 range of mock drafts rather than the top five like they were his originally. It seems to be happening as time goes on. I don't know what he's going to do with the combine, but we'll see if he can rehab that a bit. I think it's uh, a big mistake. I think he's a great player. Who is your top linebacking ranking of this year's draft right now i have two guys with first round grades number one i have devin lloyd from utah was that defense a big pick six in the bowl game i think he's rock solid tackler and can cover number two is nicobe dean from georgia you put on georgia's defense it's great but nicobe dean was really able to hit that second level and rush the passer a little bit as long as he's not super slow or super unathletic which i don't think he is i think he'll be a first round pick after that i think it gets a little bit tenuous in the second day christian harris from alabama had kind of a rough year. I'm interested to see his athleticism. Then I really like Darian Beavers from Cincinnati and Chad Muma from Wyoming, who we mentioned before, is kind of day two, second, third round picks. Draft countdown managing partner analyst Shane Allen. He's the best of the best, and he has joined us. If you guys haven't checked him out, go check him out. How do they find you, Shane? You can follow me on Twitter at Shane P. Hallam. Check out draftcountdown.com. We also do a podcast every week, the Draft Countdown podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. You can check that out as well. We really appreciate you joining us. Uh, long day, six hours of a telecast of what you thought what was going on at the Combine. I'm sure you're going to be doing it tomorrow and have your finishing touches of the Combine on Sunday. But I'm looking forward to watching the defensive lineman. That's what I want to see. I would like to see Kevon Thibodeau actually do what he does at the Combine. And I want to see his speed. I want to see what he can do. Because I do believe he is the more raw, talented pass rusher in this draft. I don't know if he's Aaron Donald. I don't know. If he's that next big pass rusher that we can't wait to see and he's going to be that superstar guy, I believe he's going to be something special. So teams are going to pass up on him, and if they do, they're going to regret it. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. We still got a lot of time and a lot of rumors, and then things end up completely different from what we thought they would be. That's why I think the draft's fun. All 32 teams get a piece of this thing. Thank you for joining us, Shane. Yeah, in time. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. We call him now Shane the Great. This guy has everything notable. He's got the draft from four years coming mm-hmm. up. You talk about the next four years. He knows where the top ten is going to fall. It's unbelievable. This guy knows what he is doing. Absolutely. Shane Hallam, he was fantastic. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will have Money Line Mania here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, we are the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Mark. My co-host, Speedy PD. Remember to listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. 
Download the Worldwide Sports Radio app like on iOS, WWSRN, or Android. Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Speedy, I am losing my voice. I was sick early in the week. I had sinus problems. Now I'm finally getting over the sinus problems. It went to my throat, and now I can't speak. Why not do a show and entertain you guys and all the people out there? So I'm happy to be here. And why not bring on the guys, the betting duo? This segment is brought to you by Sports Betting Weekly. We call this segment Money Line Mania. This is Moneyline Mania with Chaz and the crew. Well, 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 you guys are almost at 81.5%. You guys are killing it right now with all your bets. Unbelievable picks and parlays. Wes, you're the hockey guru. We had some soccer guys last week, some college basketball. And John that was on, he was fantastic, too. He was dead on. And so were you, Chaz. You were very, very good. Hector did apologize. So what it was, Wes, Hector came on last week. And it was the opening week of MLS. Opening week, you go into the water like you're going to the ocean in the spring. You just stick your toes in there. Make sure it's not too cold. He was 0-3. Yep. But the bottom line is I know Hector, and he won't be 0-3 every week. So. <laughs> well, listen, he won't. You have bad weeks. Wes probably has bad weeks, but Wes was like, I make a living doing this. I don't make that many mistakes. There's a bankroll management piece to it. You don't get carried away. You don't chase. You have to stay disciplined to it if you're trying to make a living off of it. If you're in it just to have some fun and skin in the game, and most people are, you manage your bankroll a little bit different. You, you have a different risk tolerance. Well, so. We talked about that. Understand how hard August is for me. I have to wake up August 1st knowing I'm going to have Canadian football. But in the mm-hmm. past, I had to wake up knowing I have to wait for football. There's no way I'm not betting that Labor Day weekend of college football. But it's opening weekend. I'm not going crazy either. I like to go crazy. A lot of these fans out here, 70 million the first week when betting actually became legal here in New York. As the months go by, it's going to get larger. People just like to bet. I got the beef over there in Bayshore every single day betting on four or five parlays. He's trying to hit so he can make three, $4,000 in one night. I said, dude, you're, you're out of your damn mind. You got to give him the credit. It takes a lot of effort. Oh, by the way, everyone understands this is the first Saturday in March. Doesn't mean much, but a couple months from now, it's going to be the first Saturday in May, baby. <laughs> sure is. March Madness is right around the corner, guys. Well, I was kind of going the equine. I got you, but March Madness is around the corner, a week and a half oh, yeah. away. The Big East tournament starts Wednesday. While we're on the air next week, the Big East championship game is going to be on. I love the Big East. St. John's, Villanova, Jay Wright, and Villanova, it's a superstar school. They've won two championships in the last five years. Great defensive team, defensive-minded coach, so I love Villanova, and I, I expect Villanova to make a run this year. I don't know if they win but they're going to make a run. I think Nova, you bring up a good point. It would be a very Nova thing to do if they won this tournament mm. because they've been really up and down all, all season. In some weird spots, they've lost. They've had some ugly first-half starts, come back to, to win games. Like, been a very weird Nova team. So it would be a very Villanova thing if they won the tournament. But I, I think Providence needs this tournament. More. Oh, Providence they, is going to be good too, yeah. Who they are, the brand itself, I feel like they're going to show up to this Big East tournament knowing that they need it. And Sports Betting Weekly with John and Chaz, we've been on St. John's. It almost feels like we're St. John's fans because <laughs> John from GMF has called them out so many times. So they're always scary. Yeah. Well, last week we were talking about St. John's and I said to him, sometimes you can't worry about the point spread. But St. John's had gone on a tear with the points. Team total over. They put up 94 and they got the L. Wow. <laughs> 94 <laughs> points in college basketball and they lost the game. That doesn't happen often. 
No way. And they came back the next week. They scored 81. They're playing Marquette. Marquette, in their last six games, is 0-6 against the spread. They've allowed 80-plus in four of them. They allowed 91, 83, 85, and 80. I'm just saying the same thing I'm saying last week. You guys should have just recorded me last week and played <laughs> it again. No, why? I could be out with my wife, go have dinner, <laughs> take the team total over. Chaz, hold on. What are we going to use you as a robot? If my lips are moving, I'll probably get yelled at by my wife. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So why don't we go through some of the games that you guys have? Wes really knocked it out of the park two weeks ago. What are some of the games that really stand out that people can win some money on? Sunday and NHL is interesting to me. I'm going to throw out a system play. What a system play is, for those listeners that don't know, a system play is when if this, this, and this happens, I'm betting this guy no matter what. So it's just an automatic. So with the NHL, I like to look at any teams that are on the road. It's the second game in a row. The team I'm going to pick on is Seattle. Seattle is going to be on the road. They're going to Carolina, number one in the NHL at goals allowed, and they're one of the top teams in goals scored, five or six in power play so I'm I'm laying a point and a half and taking Carolina they're just coming off a hard-fought game against Pittsburgh Carolina is the dark horse to win the cup I like Carolina to cover the one and a half uh, against Seattle but the other interesting one you know I'm from Chicago I'm a Blackhawks guy but Tampa going to Chicago will have played three out of the last four nights and now they're going on the road that's an interesting one to look at depending on who the goalie is if Vasilevsky sits down over five and a half that game could be worth a play. Tyler Johnson revenge game? Yeah. You have to pay attention to that goalie play because the course of a regular season, the starting goalie, he's going to get 85 to 90% of the starts, right? Mm. But back-to-back, and when you've got COVID issues and all of a sudden games are canceled, teams are making up games, you've got some of those back-to-back. First of all, the Carolina, what they were an ATM for about three or four weeks, weren't they, with their team totals? They just scored every single night. And we did the right thing. We laid off for about a week. And then I even took that second week and, and laid low on the NHL because that all-star break, the teams pivot and go in weird directions. But Carolina is back on the road. What do you know who's going to start in that? Every day I check in the morning, get on whatever your search is, You know, Google starting NHL goalies tonight. There's a couple different places you can go to, and it'll show you projected, confirmed. And I always run through there before I, I make any of the action official, unless it's going to be a system play. If it's a system play and I'm, I'm taking the home guy going against a, a road dog, I don't even care at that point. But I always check first thing in the morning before I lock in anything, especially with a, with a team like Tampa. It's a very big difference when they have Vasilevsky in goal and, and anybody else, especially on the road. So I'm going to lock in the action Sunday morning. Tampa, in that particular game, that will be their third out of four nights, and then they're on the road. So they might not even be honest about who's starting in goal first thing in the morning. It's so funny because Wes is expecting his first child. Oh, look at that. Yeah, oh, nice. And he's laughing because you're two months in. We just actually had our 20-week. Baby's 12 ounces and healthy. Hold on one second. Wes, how old are you? 42. Oh, okay. You're around my age. I'm going to be 40 this year. I'm getting to that age where I'm going to have to start spitting them out, too. So right, I, I'm like that. Here's the, problem. here's the problem. Once you have a baby, if you say to your wife, honey, I'll get the baby changed as soon as I check for the goalies, that ain't going to work out really well. <laughs> Maybe the baby will pick first. Yeah, there you go. Speedy, <laughs> you be quiet. And, and, You're 26 well, years old, man. Somehow I feel like I'm not going to know all the starting goalies in the NHL next year. Well, I doubt yeah, that. Really it becomes a sleep deprivation 
and sports betting are not a good combination. Oh, well, but Wes is smart enough to know he won't make too many. Mistakes. Well, here's the crazy thing. Wes, when he has to stay up late at night, he can pop on Sports Center and get all his information. <laughs> Well, Wes will be better yeah. than those guys. There's no doubt you're going to have some late night sports center you might have seen already once mm. that day and puke on your shoulder. Guarantee it, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, with the wife at home with the baby, she might know more about the spreads than I have. She's pointed yeah. out spreads before me. The wife of a, of a sports investor is a, is a powerful thing. I get excited because I'm following the New York teams. Well, I grew up. There was three papers. There was the news, Daily News, the Post, and the Times. In my neighborhood, we didn't sell a lot of the time. The bottom line is, so I'm at the taco shop the other night with my wife, and there's a Ranger game on one channel and the next game on the other channel. I felt like I was back east in Morris Code. No, Morris Code is right. I'm looking at these guys. The Islanders are off tomorrow, mm-hmm. but the Rangers at Winnipeg, they scored early the other night for us. Remember, Wes, we had them a couple yep. weeks back? Winnipeg doesn't allow a ton of goals, but New York loves to score them. And with New York... If Panarin shows up, for whatever reason, when that guy gets an assist or a goal, the Rangers can hang four, five, six goals. So what is Panarin doing in the first 10 minutes of the game is kind of the way I look at the Rangers. It's so true, and that's really what we talk about on our live shows when we do live action. It's really what is it? what's happened. When you see something that you know, how many USC games did we catch? Because we noticed USC likes the first 13 minutes to just hang around and not play yeah. basketball. And then somewhere about three quarters of the way through the first half, they kick it up a notch. But the Knicks was the oh, game God. that we cashed on, remember? We saw that the Phillies mm-hmm. down by 13 at the time. Texted out, we said, okay, we got six eyes. We got me, John, and Wes on this text thread. There's six eyeballs. So we got six eyeballs looking at opportunities and i would tell you right now if you're a sports better and you don't have sports better friends call me i'll sit down and talk to you dude you gotta have sports betting friends otherwise you lose your mind if you're a sports better and hang around with non-sports better it's a different language if, it's different if you're an idiot that'll bet on the knicks well god golly okay i i don't think there's any stupid better that's going to bet on the Knicks. How many times you see the Knicks have a 15, 16-point lead and they give it up in the third or fourth quarter and lose the game by 10 or 15? They're horrible. I think you're probably better off betting that the Knicks, they're going to have the lead going into the second half and then they lose it by 10 or 15 points. Is that a specific bet, West Over, under, <laughs> minus 10.5-point lead they blow? Errol, I'm happy to be your idiot if the points are right. <laughs> what you just said, your words exactly, Errol, are a trend. And that's what we look for. We look for what teams are going to do. No different than any aspect of life. If you know certain things are going to happen, you plan for those things, and you got to take the responsibility. Now, if you're a Knicks fan, it's a whole nother animal because now your team's up 13 and you're betting against them and you're rooting for the other team. That's probably not going to work If you're out. a Knicks fan, find a, a nice little place to jump off a bridge. Huh. There is no way in hell you want to be a Knicks fan right now. They're horrible. Julius Randle, he's probably better off working with bricks than shooting basketballs, okay? <laughs> All right. I, I mean, the guy's horrible. Thursday right? night, the Nets lost to Miami, and Sunday they're coming back at Boston. Any opinions on that one? I like the Nets for sure. At, at Boston is always tough. That is a tough place to play basketball, and it's a noon game, so it takes a minute to get going, but it's usually a loud place, sold-out crowd. I do like Brooklyn to 
to cover in that game. And Kevin Durant is back. I also predict, being that it's a noon game, most afternoon games, Kevin Durant scores over 30 points. I expect him to score my, over 30 points. My play there, I believe that, that Brooklyn will cover, but my play there, I was also looking at that one. I, I'm looking at point total. I'm looking at Brooklyn individual first half and, and game totals. I think they go over. Hey, Wes, how often do you pop down to the player level on your props? So... I do that in big games, and I do it as a self-control moment, if that makes sense. I'll put a tenth of a unit on three or four different players, you know, like in the Super Bowl. It's not an investment. It's not a paycheck. It's so that I can control myself and have absolutely no stupidity going on. I'm just looking for value even when I'm doing that. Because if you find yourself disrespecting money in any way on the sports betting, it'll become second nature to do that. And down goes your bankroll. So... Tenth of a unit on big game moments that, you know, the national championship here in about a month, I'll probably be doing some of that stuff. I almost never go down to that level. And the reason is, if A, it's a lot more difficult. It's personnel. And I talk about it when I talk with my fantasy guys that it's a whole different level. And, and B, then it's too specific. I mean, when I'm betting a team total over. I don't even have to worry about two teams. When I'm betting an over, I just have to worry about the teams. If I start betting Garant's team total over or his uh, player points over or or Harden's assist, it becomes too much. It's too focused, too much work, too much stress. Oh, wait a second. Did you not hear that Harden was traded to the 76ers? (laughs) (laughs) He has been. That's why the 76ers have been cashing so well. And I told people that was going to happen. Everybody kept telling me Harden wasn't going to be the big piece that Uh, was going. Meanwhile, Ben Simmons won't play for another three weeks probably. If we charged people to read the text between me, John from GMF Sports Consultants, and Blackhawk West from 151 Sports Investing. This thing would be sweet money. Oh, my God. But I'm going to try to find the text where he says, I guess Harden likes Philadelphia. That's what Wes said. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he does like Philadelphia. Triple-double against the Knicks in his first home game. I expect him to play that well. And remember, it it does take the ball out of Embiid's hands, so that does affect uh, Embiid's growth, especially going into the playoffs. You want Embiid to touch the ball more. You want the ball to go through Embiid, not James Harden. But it it also opens up the court because what James Harden does so well is draw fouls. He gets to the hole. He travels a lot, but nobody sees it. Embiid, Maxi, he's a sensational player. And by the way, anybody on social media that keeps posting that Maxi's better than RJ Barrett, are you kidding me? Come on, guys. It's ridiculous. But nevertheless... James Harden's going to be a big piece, and I think James Harden's going to be the reason why the 76ers get to the finals. I like him. I always have. He's not a playoff player, but he's a good player. It's a very competitive East. It is not LeBron's East anymore. No. It's not LeBron's West either. <laughs> no. The Sixers, they're making out better in this move than, than Brooklyn is for Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. Ben Simmons, when he's on, can be a great player, but, man, he can be so flawed at times. Yep. And James Harden, you know what he's going to give you. If you give him the ball, he's going to give you a triple-double. He's going to dominate the game, and he's going to take the pressure off Embiid. And Embiid, even though Embiid loves it, and they were winning without Ben Simmons, to add a guy like James Harden with Maxi and some of the players that they have, and they still have Harris there, they're going to be dangerous, and they could shoot the ball. As long as Embiid stays healthy, the ability that Embiid has as a shooter on the outside for a big man, and they get into the hole and draw the fouls that he could draw. All these guys, and you stop the clock, and you take points away from the other team. So as much as there's so many good teams that have shooters, 
I think the 76ers are even more dangerous because they can do all the good things better than everybody else in the East. So I think that if James Harden figures out how to play in the playoffs, maybe Doc Rivers can help him. I, I don't like Doc Rivers, so I, I don't know how much he's going to help him. But if he could find a way to play in the playoffs, I'm telling you, I don't think there's anybody, uh, even the Brooklyn Nets, w- went healthy. I don't think they're going to beat the 76ers at full strength. Let me ask you this. In terms of tonight... Could we talk about making people money tonight? We talk about it. When you listen to us on the Thursdays, Warren, you make money in that hour, in that hour. But like tonight, we got two games, right? 10 o'clock, USC-UCLA. Well, we've been talking USC and UCLA for, for months now, and the Aztecs play at 1030. And the Aztecs right now, they're not shooting the ball. But they're playing great, great defense. Those are two games, I think, Wes, that we could sweep the board on. It's revenge between these two teams, no matter what happened in the last game. They hate each other. They hate each other in football. They hate each other in basketball. But going back to the last time they played, it was three points that separated them. Three or four points that separated them. When you look at this game, I realize that UCLA is going to be looking at the game as they took us out last time. But uh, Isaiah Mobley did not play in the first matchup, and USC found a way to win. So I don't believe in a rivalry match. Seven and a half points and a future NBA star, probably a future NBA all-star coming back to the lineup for this matchup. I don't believe it's smart to lay points. Take the points, take the Trojans, seven and a half points in a rivalry game. Sign me up. My play on this game is chill out. Have a couple drinks. Watch the first five, (laughs) six, seven, eight minutes of basketball. See if you can get that under to drop down another six, maybe six or five or six points and then pounce on the over and then hit the over again in a halftime. I remember going to sleep at halftime in high school, betting games. I'll never forget Seattle. I'm watching Seattle. This is before I had that physical geography thing going down where I, I know that if it's winter here, it's winter, it's summer somewhere else. But Seattle, it's light out, right? And I'm watching the game on Monday Night Football, and it's dark in New Haven. I'm thinking, what am I missing here? That three-hour difference is huge because this USC-UCLA game at 10 o'clock It could make somebody's day. This is somebody who bet college basketball all day, and he lost money all day, and then Wes and I give him a winner at 10 o'clock at night. His significant other is asleep at halftime, right? Halftime is about 11.15 or so (laughs) of of that game. So let's talk to USC-UCLA. Now now the real question is, whoever either of you ever recommended Hawaii football bets or Hawaii basketball bets? Then you got three more hours. They call it the Degen Special. Oh, the, no the, doubt about it. The, the I, I, 12 yeah. o'clock East Coast game. <laughs> I will say this for anybody that wants to bet on the Covington Masvidal fight tonight, I would bet Covington split decision. That's It'll go a five nice rounds. Odds. Yes. You get nice odds when you go down to, to calling not only the winner, but whether it was unanimous or split. It's a split decision. Covington will win the fight. I wouldn't say unanimous because I, I do believe Masvidal in the first two rounds, I think he could win the fight. But I think as it goes further, Covington is just better with stamina and he's just a better all-around fighter. And that's why I think Kobe Covington will win the fight with a split decision. I wrote it down. Really, handicapping is so hard. If you have any knowledge of sports, and I know Errol does because I've listened to him enough on the radio, I take your advice. Bet Covington will win the fight. Masvidal will not win the fight. No matter what, Covington will win the fight. 110%. There's no way Masvidal wins the fight. The only way Masvidal wins the fight is if he knocks Covington in the first two rounds. If it goes past the third round, there's no way Masvidal wins because Covington's stamina and what he could do as a wrestler, this guy is a world-class wrestler, and Masvidal isn't. He's a street fighter. Covington is a great boxer. So five rounds. 
I'm well, predicting split decision. Covington is minus 325, so 325s are supposed to win. Yes. And and I know a lot of guys that say minus 325, are you crazy? Are you crazy? Well, Wes, that's the same number you hear in soccer all the time. The bottom line is sometimes it's the easiest 325 in the history of 325s. If you want great odds, take your two bucks, bet a pony. Minus 275 on a money line just to pick a winner in fighting, it's a 50-50 shot. Right, an elbow, a knee. That's all it takes, and the fight's over. I do not believe this is going to be a knockout fight. I think Masvidal will last. He's a tough SOB. These guys supposedly hate each other, but these guys were best friends at one point. So I think it's a great sell a sell when it comes to the product, and that's why Dana White wanted to see this. And It's just to put fannies in the seats. But Kobe Covington will win this fight, 100%. I think it won't be a knockout. It won't be a tap out. If you want to bet unanimous, bet unanimous. I think it's a split decision because... Masvidal can win two rounds. The over four and a half is minus 160 versus plus 130 for the under. So they're looking it's going to go to the judges for sure. I absolutely is going to go to the judges. I love overs. Anybody that knows me knows I love betting overs because I, I, I'm a dad. I like to root for all the kids. Yay, yay, yay. Yay. Yeah, well, oh, yay. Guess what? I'm not a dad. And you two, one is going to be a dad in Wes, and the other is already a dad or is going to be a grandfather. So there you go. <laughs> Stop that. I tell my kids, I will pay for your condoms till the day you die. Oh, Daddy Dukes. <laughs> well, 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 well. Chaz and Wes, they pick winners as they always do. Cash your money. So it's Money Line Mania every single week. Listen to us. Uh, this segment is definitely a winning segment. And, and Wes has really knocked it out of the ballpark. So has Chaz in the last three weeks. He's pretty good at what he does. Yes. Hector, we threw a couple of curveballs, but that's soccer. Well, you know, you just don't know. But remember, opening, if you bet a lot of money on somebody that's telling you who they like opening week of any sport, well, you know what? That's your problem. Yeah, absolutely. So, ladies and gentlemen, listen to Moneyline Mania every single week on the Weekend Crunch as you get the chance to hear some of the best handicappers in the country do what they do best on this show. Thank you, my friend. No, I'm sorry. I, I was going to sing for a second. But I see you with your dog over there, so I don't want your dog to bite my finger off. Well, yeah, but... <laughs> but you know, on the radio, my dog. But Wes, how many times has your dog showed up? This is the first time. I, yeah, I mean, I got two big greyhounds. I mean, there's days where yeah. we're trying to pick the winner around the sofa table. Table. Yeah, I don't think he's going to put the Greyhound in his hands like you have your no, dog. No, no, That's for a, sure. Anyways, Chaz and Wes, thank you for joining us. We really appreciate everything that you do every single week with us. Yeah, always be cashing, guys. Always be cashing, guys. As everybody knows, uh, Moneyline Mania, we do this every single week. And we're going to try to change it up. We're going to figure out ways where we're going to pick games. And we're going to make our picks. And we're going to, at the end of the week or end of each week, see who's in the lead and who is dominating these picks. And Wes is dead on with a lot of his hockey picks. There's no question that he is. And Chaz, over the last couple of weeks, has been money on everything that he has said. So all you guys out there, watch the fight tonight. I'm telling you, Covington wins the fight. I'm going to say split decision because I think Masvidal could absolutely win two rounds and maybe could some people might think he wins three. So it's going to be a close fight, but I think Covington's the better fighter. So if it goes past two rounds, Covington wins split decision. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will get into more basketball. Yes, as the New York Knicks just look more horrible, more damn horrible. I am tired of talking about the Knicks, but when we come back, we'll get into the saga of the New York Knicks, what the Knicks need to do, 
Why don't they just sit Julius Randle like they did with Kemba Walker, okay? Let the young players play. That would make a lot of sense. RJ showing and shining as a young superstar. Why don't we see these young players and see how they develop? When we come back, we'll get into the Knicks, the Nets, and all the crap that's going on in the NBA world here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, as you know. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm the host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to the show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android, World Wide Sports Radio Network. I'm telling you guys, I'm trying to be a beast and trying to get through this show with my sore throat and everything like that. I've been dealing with being sick all week, but I'm happy to be here. I hope everybody's enjoying the show. Moneyline Main Air was fantastic. Those guys know what they're talking about. I'm telling you right now. And as we move forward with this show and this segment, we're going to make it even more interesting. We're going to get more picks, and we're going to narrow it down by the end of the week. Every single week, we're going to know who's in the lead. Wes, Chaz, Speedy, me, John, Whatever handicapper we have on the show, these guys are the best of the best. Wes actually makes this a living. He's a chef over there in Kansas City, and he does that on the side. His money comes from his sports betting. This guy's as good as any handicapper in the business. So if we get Blackhawk West on every single week, I'm telling you right now, you're going to get yourself a winner or two. So, Especially if you're a hockey fan. He's phenomenal with hockey. Absolutely. He's dead on with hockey. And also, when the CFL comes out, he, oh yeah, he, that's where he makes his prize money. He says that all the time. So when the CFL starts to progress, and that should be soon, expect Wes to talk a little bit about the CFL and definitely bet on the CFL. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. We are going to get into a little bit of the baseball strike. Quite a few things that going on right now. As it progressively goes the way it is, more and more games are going to be waved off for the season. I think it'll be cut down to about 90 to 100 games before it's said and done. But before we get into some baseball, I want to get into the basketball situation. And James Harden, this past week, just embarrassed the New York Knicks in Philadelphia. Yes, R.J. Barrett looks great. He's really turning into the player that we thought he was going to be. He's 21. He's turning 22 this year. He's a special player. He really, really is. And I love his Instagram pictures with his five dogs. He has French Bulldogs. They're very cute. And I I like RJ. He's got a good personality. He smiles all the time. Even when they lose, he smiles. You watch this team. When Julius Randle is on the court, he keeps the ball away from RJ Barrett. RJ doesn't touch the ball enough when Julius Randle is on the court. And what's that do? It takes away shots for RJ Barrett to hit. And R.J. Barrett, when he is on the court and when he is playing at the top of his game, he's shooting 12 for 18, 12 for 19. Those are good percentages. And what R.J. does very, very well is go to the hole and draw fouls. He's very good at that. He's become a little bit better of a foul shooter this year. I think he's 76%. Coming into the league, I think he was at 69. So He, he was worse than Zion at Duke. Right. So he's a better foul shooter now, and he'll get even better. I really do believe that because he works really, really hard on and off the court. He really does. When you think of RJ, try to compare and contrast the leadership that he is going to bring in the future and his ability to dominate a game. Now, the thing that bothers me about this team right now is why is Julius Randle playing 40 minutes a game? Why isn't Obi Toppin playing more than 21 minutes a game? Why isn't these players 
that we drafted over the last couple of years, the Quickleys of the world, the Grimes of the world. And I know Grimes is hurt right now. He's right. going to be out for a couple of weeks. That's fine. Sims, why isn't he playing more? You look at this team. This team is not a good team. We don't know when Derrick Rose is coming back, obviously. We're not going to see Kemba Walker for the rest of the season. So why isn't Tom Thibodeau bringing in these young players and seeing what you have? You make a trade with Atlanta. Cam Reddish is a good player. When he is on the court, when he has actually gets the ball and has a chance to shoot the ball, Cam Reddish is good. But for some reason, Tom Thibodeau don't like him. Now, if Tom Thibodeau didn't like him, why didn't Leon Rose make a trade for him? Because now... Going into the offseason, Leon Rose is going to have to make a decision. Do I get rid of Tom Thibodeau, who won the coach of the year last year? Or do I get rid of Cam Reddish, who is going to be expecting a big contract? Now, I don't know how big he's going to get. Maybe he gets $70 million. I think he thinks he's going to get more, but he's not. But he's going to get somewhere around Tim Hardaway Jr. type of money. $76, 75000000 million. Cam Reddish is a good player. He really is. And do I think he could be a better player than we've seen so far? Absolutely. He doesn't touch the ball a lot. He shoots six shots a game. We don't know what Cam Reddish is because when he shoots six shots a game, he hits three out of six. That's a pretty good percentage. He's Half his shots go in. If he shot as many shots as Julius Randle, does he score more than Julius Randle? I absolutely believe he does. The problem right now with this team is Tom Thibodeau plays all these old players who are just absolutely obnoxious, and I'm talking about Julius Randle, and these younger players that we want to see and we want to see how they develop and how they develop under his offense and his tutelage, it's just not working. And what does that tell me? That tells me going into the offseason, Leon Rose and Mr. Wesley is going to have to decide if Tom Thibodeau is the guy moving forward with this young team, Speedy. This is the perfect time to experiment with different options in terms of young players and let them develop other skills. You have a point guard in Kemba Walker that's not going to play the rest of the season. They've mutually agreed. Derrick Rose is hurt. Let R.J. Barrett experiment as that. Let Emmanuel Quigley experiment as that. Now, Quentin Grimes is hurt. I don't know if he's really much of a point guard anyway, but at least give him some reps. Let him do that kind of thing because we've seen a lot of teams do well with wing players bringing the ball up now. It takes the pressure off of pure point guard. Right. It takes the pressure off of pure point guards that maybe if you draft one, then you don't wear them out later on or you sign one, you trade for one, whatever the scenario ends up being for the Knicks. They end up doing that. And also, it could help the players take the next step. R.J. Barrett is a guy that has a potential to be a well-rounded prospect. Now, he wasn't thought of at Duke as a pure point guard and developing to a pure point guard. He was thought of more as a top wing player at his highest upside. But that doesn't mean he couldn't do that kind of thing. He improved as a passer progressively throughout last season, at the end of last season. This season, he started off slow and improved as a passer. When he peaked as a passer, too, in the middle of the season, he was averaging four or five assists a game a lot of those games, too, when he actually did get to touch the ball, but he doesn't get to do so very often. But there's no reason with the Knicks struggling the way they are that these guys shouldn't be at least experimented with. If they still lose, they still lose, and they are back to where they probably would have been if they still played these veteran guys. Well, they keep getting embarrassed by the 76ers. That's for damn sure. James Harden absolutely embarrassed them in 76erville, Philadelphia. The Knicks should be ashamed of themselves. If they're winning with this philosophy, okay, that's different, but they're not. So at what point do you have to say... Let's try to play these young guys, see what you have out of them, and then realize, okay, can we build a core with this team? Can we use these guys as trade chips where you get good value for a big-name player that the Knicks have been rumored to for quite a while? They have to try something because they know Julius Randle as the number one guy is not going to work by any means possible. They know that these 
veteran point guard platoon. Probably one of them is going to go, if not both. Kemba Walker is probably going to be traded, most likely, because he doesn't want to be bought out. So, yes, the experiment looked good on paper in the offseason. I thought the Knicks were going to be improving maybe a three seed, but it didn't happen. So you have to try something else at this point, and there's no reason to with the way they're losing games. As far as the Brooklyn Nets are concerned, we know that Kevin Durant is back, but this team has not looked. He had to come back because right now they're an eight seed, and they're slowly but surely trying to move up in this Eastern Conference that, let's be honest, is, is better than we thought it was going to be. Milwaukee, Cleveland, Chicago, Miami. And the Nets were supposed to be the best team out of all these teams in East starting the season with James Harden, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Durant. Well, now James Harden's playing with Philadelphia, which now is playing better basketball. And you talk about Seth Curry going over there. Let me ask all you fans out there now, what do you think of Seth Curry now? Are you going to try to compare him to his brother Steph? Because he's not. He's a good player. He's a good bench player. He's not going to give you 16, 17 points a game on this team. Kyrie Irving has to play every single day. And if Kyrie Irving doesn't play these home games, it's going to affect where the Nets are going to be and where they're going to be positioned going into the playoffs. They do not want to play a playing game against one of these top, more dangerous teams in the Eastern Conference. Because if they do, they're going to get knocked out more sooner than later. There's no way in hell they're going to go into these games. And if Kyrie Irving, hey, it's got to be a home game for the Nets, and Kyrie Irving isn't playing in that game, there's no way the Nets winning that game. Whether they win the playing games or not, the playing games are going to be wear and tear on Kevin Durant, who played large amounts of minutes in the postseason last year. He's played large amounts of minutes in the beginning of the season this year when James Harden was really struggling badly and or hurt. Kyrie Irving was obviously gone and not to be heard of. Now, all of a sudden, James Harden is being traded away. Ben Simmons is not going to be back probably for another two, three weeks, apparently. So now Kevin Durant, now playing back, is going to have to play even more. So it's going to be hard to ease him in. And if you ease him in... The Nets are probably still going to lose games. They're 3-7 and seven in their last 10 games. They're at 500 right now, which doesn't say much. So even if they make it through the Raptors, the Hornets, and the Hawks, which are currently the other playing teams, then you got to play more games to get there. And that's going to take a toll on somebody like Kevin Durant that is already fatigued to begin with. And that kind of identity doesn't win in the postseason. Isolation basketball, not that Kevin Durant can't be a playmaker and stuff like that. Not a shot at him. It just you, It's tough to win with just one guy going off the whole time in basketball. You need two or three guys to really make that kind of thing work, and if Kyrie Irving's not on the court, who's to be that next guy to step up? Joe Harris is now out for the season, too, so you're going to trust Seth Curry to be a number two option? You're going to trust Blake Griffin? What is this love fest for Seth Curry? He's a good bench player, but that's it! The Net fans and some of these other Nick fans are like, I wanted Seth Curry. Seth Curry's a good player. He is not Steph. I don't want to hear it. Steph's not having... The all-world year this year. What is he averaging, 25 points a game? Yeah, the two months ago MVP talk is gone now. No, he's not an MVP, but Seth is a good all-around player. He's a better defender than his brother, but he's nothing to sneeze about. I know Net fans and even Nick fans, a.k.a. Eric Martini, by the way, happy birthday to Eric. Oh, happy birthday, Eric. I think he's 42 now, so it is his birthday today. But when you think about where the Brooklyn Nets are, are they a better team without James Harden? The answer is no. And even when Ben Simmons comes back, they're not a better team. So I don't want to hear it from Nets fans. Whoa, I'm happy to have Ben Simmons. I'm happy to have Seth Curry or Andre Drummond. Andre Drummond is a washed-up center. He's every team's washed-up center. Dwight Howard right now plays for the Lakers. Dwight Howard was one of the best players, one of the top five players in the league five, six, seven, eight years ago. By the way, you want to know the irony of this? You know who ironically just got claimed by the Sixers? Who? DeAndre Jordan, who started the season with the Nets. Uh, Figure that one out. (laughs) You look at the big picture right now. The Brooklyn Nets are not better 
than they were two weeks ago. And to sit here and say that they were, when James Harden's laughing because he's hanging out with Meek Mills, he's hanging out with all his rapping buddies, and he's in Philadelphia. City of brotherly love. City of brotherly love. And his beautiful beard over there, the beard man. He's having his fun. He got what he wanted. And he's playing with arguably the MVP right now of the league in Joel Embiid. So he could go into the playoffs in a better position than he would have going to the playoffs with the Brooklyn Nets because Maxie looks like a player. They've got Harris still on that team. This team has a tremendous amount of depth. They're going to score in many different ways. And if Doc Rivers actually teaches this team how to play defense, oh, by the way, they're learning. Maybe this team goes all the way to the finals and wins a championship this year. Who knows? <laughs> I'm not going to bet on it because I don't bet on James Harden in the playoffs. Or I, James Harden playing defense. <laughs> that's true, too. But I think James Harden will have one of his best playoff runs we've ever seen him have this year because I think he's happy where he is. I really think he's legitimately happy over there. Remember when he was in OKC? When he was in OKC, he was a great playoff player. Then he went to the Rockets. He was horrible. Yep. And then he went to the Nets. He never got a chance to play in the playoffs. He did last year, but he was hurt. And now this year, he's going to get a chance at full strength to play with as good a player or better player right now in the league where he has a chance to really show everybody that he could play in the playoffs and show up in the playoffs, and I believe he will. As far as the lockout is concerned, I know baseball fans out there are pulling their hair out of their heads. I would be, too. If you're a New York Mets fan, I would be pulling my hair out of my heads. You make a run for Max Scherzer, you give him what he wants, and he's making three years, $46, $47 million. He's the highest paid player in the major leagues. Major league history. <laughs> he's making more money than arguably the best player in all of baseball, Mike Trout. And the Mets fans might only get the chance to see him pitch 10 starts this year. That's how bad this is going. Speedy, me and you predicted it was going to happen in May when they're going to come to an agreement. Yep, I said Memorial Day, and it might even be later than that the way it's going right now. It's horrible. Now, there's the two things to look at with the Mets' perspective. The positive and the negative. The positive is... Max Scherzer had all that fatigue last year. Maybe he'll get a chance now to heal his arm up. Okay, that could help. Jacob deGrom, whatever happened to him in the second half of the season. A I short thought, season, too. Yeah, so that'll help in that sense. But here's the other thing, too. Pete Alonso's going to lose some service time as well. So how could that affect his next contract is going to be a very interesting thing. Will he be happy about that kind of thing, potentially losing that kind of money or losing that extra year of the eligibility where he'd get paid more, depending on how these new stipulations of contracts and arbitration come out to be. Now, there hasn't been any evident progress. They're trying to lean towards the three-year process with the arbitration, so hopefully maybe Pete Alonso could benefit off of that where the Mets could give him the money right away and not have to wait three years down the road where it could be harder for them with the other big contracts that they have, too, and still having Lindor's contract, all the other free agents they signed this offseason, too. It's going to be a tough situation for the Mets to do that kind of thing anyway, but for Pete Alonso, personally, it could definitely be hard. It so. hurts the Yankees, too, and, and the reason why is whoever the Yankees were interested in, the Correas of the world, or a story, Freeman yeah. from the Braves, as long as this projectedly goes and further pushes off where the season is going to start, the chances of the Yankees adding a guy like Correa or Freeman are slim because – why would you bring these guys in in a short season? I, I could see Freeman signing a one-year contract going into a short season with the Braves and wait until next year. Show what you mm-hmm. could do in a couple of games or whatever, 100 games, what you could do. With, I bet you his numbers will be a lot better than they were last year. And that's saying a lot because he had a pretty good year too. Yeah. And obviously Carlos Correa, who might just sign a one-year deal 
with Houston just to play out this year to go into next year being the top prize as far as shortstops are concerned. So there's a lot of things that could happen. But does this help the Yankees? No, this hurts the Yankees. Where it helps the Yankees is the Yankees have been fighting injuries for the last couple of years. Being that it's a short season when you have Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, DJ LeMayu, Glaber Torres, Gary Sanchez, if these guys could actually stay healthy in a shorter season, Watch out for the Yankees. The Yankees can win the whole thing. I don't like their starting rotation like the Mets with their two starters, but I think they have more depth than the Mets. So I'm not worried about the Yankees' full starting rotation. I'm worried about the Yankees' bullpen Mm. and and where this bullpen is going to be. But being that it's a short season, you don't have to worry because you're not going to have to overdo Zach Britton. You're not going to have to overdo Chapman. You're not going to have to overdo Chad Green, who every single year has just been beaten up and beaten up later in the season. Being that there's 62 or 72 games taken off the list this season, it really helps the Yankees. I think the Yankees are positioned very well in that state. As far as the players are concerned, like if they want to add Correa or Story or Freeman, I think it affects the Yankees very much so. Yeah, I think the Yankees are going to definitely have to look at depth for the pitching for sure once this lockout does end up happening. We'll see if they end up trading for the big moves like the Luis Castillo we've heard in the past, but depth is definitely going to be a key, especially for the Mets too when it comes to the bullpen depth as well because they thought they added it last year with May, Diaz bouncing back the way he did, but the other guys were down. Like May was down, Lugo was down, guys like that. So both teams are going to have to end up trying to figure that out. The other thing that could benefit both these teams though is the alleged rumor coming out of Monday after the lockout was that there's going to be likely a 12-team playoff, expanding to the 12 teams where it's six teams per conference, and they make it like the NFL playoffs the way that oh, was structured. God. But that could help the Yankees and the Mets. The Yankees, they made the playoffs, but they were very much two games away from not being in the playoffs at the same time. And the Mets were still going to be in a tough division. And there the were two Braves. games of having home field advantage well, yeah, in the wild card right. game. But that's how close it could be. And especially in the American League East for the Yankees, it's going to be a tough division. That extra team, you could have all four teams make it in that case. That could end it's up crazy. helping the Yankees too. And same thing with the Mets, who have a tough National League East. Not as hard as the American League East, but the Braves, obviously, World Series The American champions. League, year in and year out, is the best division in baseball. You can't even argue that. If you look at the Blue Jays, a growing team. The Yankees are a good team. The Red Sox, Tampa Bay. I mean, come on. That division's ridiculous. I think that division, I think, has had multiple playoff teams pretty much every year this decade. I know they had three with the Red Sox, Rays, and the Yankees in certain years in the early part of the decade. Then they had the Red Sox, Blue Jays, Orioles one year. So, yeah, it's always like that. So, that's why I think the extra playoff team, if that ends up going through could help them. And also, if they do win the division, they could end up getting the bye, which could also help the injuries you were talking about earlier. And same thing with the Mets, too, who are an older team. And they're always having some kind of injuries because they're the most fragile team in sports. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, Speedy, what do we got? We got crunch time! Here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, we are the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Yeah! As you know, we are live every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going iOS, WWSRN, or Android Worldwide Sports Radio Network. I want to apologize to all the fans. I've been 
dealing with being sick all week. And I'm trying to be strong to get through the show. And Speedy's really helped me out throughout the show. He's been fantastic. I really appreciate Speedy adding his two cents in a little bit more in the show. So I will be better next week. And my voice will be back. And you'll get to hear the crazy Errol again. Speedy! Are you ready for this segment? Yep. It is time for Crunch Time! It's time for Crunch Time! Alright, we'll start this week with a little college basketball. Tonight is the final home game for Coach K. They play against North Carolina, their bitter rival, by herself. Duke will win this game by 10 or more points. Absolutely going to buy it. You talk about Coach K. Coach K is everything you want when it comes to a college basketball coach. He's done everything. He's won everything. When we talk about the greatest coaches of college history, I would say Coach K is on the top of that list. Fantastic. Nick Saban is probably one of the greatest coaches of this era as far as college coaches are concerned, and I would put Coach K when it comes to basketball. Absolutely. They win more, more, and more every single year because of this guy. I'm going to say I'm going to buy it. I'm going to buy it, too. I know North Carolina's played better in recent weeks in order to get themselves into some kind of tournament relevancy, but I think this is something special for Duke. Their top players, I think, are definitely going to come through, especially against a bit of rival like North Carolina, I feel like there will be a ceremonious end as well. I am going to buy it. All right, let's go to some hockey. Marc-Andre Fleury, rumored to be traded back to one of his former teams. Buy or sell, he'll be traded back to either the Penguins or the Golden Knights. I'm going to buy it. Right now, both teams need goaltending. I can't believe Jari... He made it to the All-Star game. And he's having his second half woes again after I mean, he's horrible. And if you're going to go into the playoffs with Jari, good luck getting out of the first round. There's no chance in hell. And right now, I think they're matched up to play the Rangers. And the Rangers are going to kill them. You need goaltending. So why not get one of the best playoff goaltenders of this era, Marc-Andre Fleury? I'm going to buy it. I am going to sell it for two reasons. One, the Penguins, I think, have a lot of these salary cap issues where I think they're going to go after some more skaters instead, try to get more depth. And for the Golden Knights standpoint, they got Robin Leonard back this week, and I think that'll end up helping them as well. He's played well in the playoffs in certain stretches for them. Fleury has as well, but I think they have other money issues to worry about, especially with Eichel. So I am going to sell it. All right, let's go to the NBA. Ben Simmons will be out another two, three weeks. We'll play five regular season games or less for the Brooklyn Nets. I'm going to buy it. I don't even know if we'll see him this year. As crazy as that may sound, you're going to need him, and I expect him to play in the playoffs because there's no way the Brooklyn Nets are even going to make a run if they don't have another player to play with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. And no, Seth Curry isn't the answer. So I am going to buy. He's not going to play more than five games. But I expect to see Ben Simmons on the court. I'm going to buy it, too. I think he'll be on the court. I don't think he'll miss the whole regular season. But the way he's just missing all these games, whether it's a mental health thing or not, uh, it just seems very odd that it's all a of a sudden he he's has out of shape. That's what's yeah, happening. That's the other thing, too. You don't know what it is right now. And, again, the Nets, they've been dealing with this all season. They're used to it. I'll buy it. All right, buy or sell. The other component of Major League Baseball the players, certain players, a.k.a. Joey Gallo, wants to ban the shift. Buy or sell, it's going to happen. I hope so. It will help the game. Some of these players, like Joey Gallo, like Giancarlo Stanton, all these pull ball hitters, I think it would absolutely benefit them. Obviously, you're professional baseball players, and you expect them, if you need to hit the ball in the open field, you should be able to hit the ball in the open field. But I think it's hurt the game. Joe Madden brought it back into the game. It's been around for forever, since Ted Williams. But it's been really brought back from the Tampa Bay Rays. So I am going to buy it. I'm going to sell it. I just think there's too many other small market teams that are going to benefit more on the analytical standpoint, too. And I know the players' union is definitely very strong, but I don't know if there's enough of attraction right now, especially with them wanting a season to come back. If this was brought up maybe at the beginning of the lockout, I would probably think more of it, but I think it's too late to have to worry about that when they have other issues, so I am going to sell it. All right, an NFL one. Packers will sign Aaron Rodgers to a 
bigger contract per year than Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes' contract is $45 million per year. It seems like it's going to happen. I didn't think Aaron Rodgers was going back to Green Bay, but every single story coming out of Green Bay is he's talking big buckaroos. And you're talking about between 50 and $60 million a year for the next two years. I do buy it. I think it's going to happen. I'm going to sell it. I still think he'll end up getting traded. I think he's still disgruntled with his organization. I don't know if Aaron Rodgers cares about the money. I think this is a last-ditch effort from the Packers more than it is of Aaron Rodgers. They're trying to make it about Aaron Rodgers. The media is to try to make it a bigger thing, but I don't think it's going to happen. I still think he'll get traded. He is done as a Packer. I will sell it. From the positive end of college basketball to the negative end, Georgetown's losing streak. 19 games now. They have one more regular season game against Xavier than their game in the Big East tournament against Providence. Buy or sell. They'll lose both of those games and finish with 21 straight losses. I'm going to buy it. And the fact that Patrick Ewing still has a job is ridiculous. And I'm a Patrick Ewing fan. I'm a New York Knicks fan. I don't know what's going on with Georgetown. I don't know what's going on with Patrick. I thought Patrick was a good fit over there when he took over for that college team and his old college team, Georgetown. So I don't know what's going on, but uh, I am absolutely going to buy it 21 in a row. Yeah, I'm going to buy it too. I think they'll play close with Xavier. They're not a great team, but I do think they'll end up still finding a way to win. They need to beat this game to get to the tournament seating, and they're definitely not going to lose against Providence. So I'll end up buying that. All right, by ourselves, we'll go back to one more football one. Kyler Murray, whose agent said the big letter. Maybe some selfish things in there. They will lose Kyler Murray at a trade before the end of next season. I'm going to sell it. It seems like Kyler Murray likes to speak. We've seen a lot of quarterbacks like to do this and never get what they want. I think Kyler Murray wants to be out of there, but as long as Kingsbury is there, he will be there. So I am going to sell it. I'm going to sell it, too. I think the Cardinals are going to pay him this offseason. I think they're making pay him, sense. really? I think they'll pay him right this away. Early? I think they will. I think they're going to try to make it work. They have a lot of players on good contracts right now. Uh, yeah, they lost a couple veterans in the offseason that they signed to one-year contracts. Okay. But most of the rest of their team is young. They don't have a lot of bad contracts right now that they have to worry about. I think they're going to make Kyler Murray happy right now and then deal with the little bit of holes they have on their team because they don't have many of them. A couple secondary pieces, a nose tackle to help out their run defense, and a little bit of a line. It's not much left. I think they can afford to do it. I'm going to sell it. I think they're going to pay him right now. All right, one more. Another team in Arizona. The Phoenix Suns. 50-12 and 12 right now. Buy or sell. They will finish the season 65 or 17 or better, which surpasses Chris Hall's next season in Houston. I'm going to buy it. I think this is the best team in basketball. They've been the best team in basketball for the last two years, and it has everything to do with Chris Paul. And the reason why is he wins. He makes everybody around him a winner. Yes, I know he's never won a championship, and that's something to say about the team and the team play going into the playoffs. But every team he's ever gone to, he's taken them to the playoffs, bad or good. So I am going to buy it. I'm going to buy it, too. I was waiting for a losing streak to steam out after they had that big winning streak, but it hasn't happened yet. And this Suns team has a lot more depth than people give them credit for. You saw it in the finals last year, the way they played. It wasn't even they always the even best better player. than they were last Yeah, year. it wasn't even just their star guys that were playing well for them, too. And now they have even more young players playing even better. So I think they'll end up getting it. All you have to do is 15-5. and five. I think it's very obtainable for that kind of thing. It'll be close, but I think it's very obtainable. So I will buy it. And that, ladies and gentlemen is crunch time. And we had a great show. I want to thank Shane Hallam for joining us. He was absolutely fantastic. If you guys didn't listen to the interview, you missed something very special. If you like the combine and you like the draft, this is the guy to follow on his blog. 
Check him out on social media. I'm telling you right now, he's must-watch. Must-watch. Shout-out to you, Speedy. Thank you for filling in and helping me out today. Absolutely. I've been feeling very, very sick. My voice is cracking. I've been dealing with a lot of stuff. I will be better next week, more funnier, and back to my crazy self. But it was a great, great show. A shout-out to all the fans that listen to us, all the fans that keep listening to us. And I'm telling you right now, we are the voice of New York sports. Yes, from Boomer Esiason to Craig Carton to Gio. Every single one of them. I believe we're just as good as any of those guys, and we're happy to be here to be the voice of Long Island Sports. When we come back next week, we'll have some great, great guests and some great stuff when we come back next week. Shout-out to Moneyline. Unbelievable. Shout-out to Wes. Shout-out to Chaz. Definitely listen to the picks that they made this week. They are dead on. We will be back next week. Until then, this is Errol Marks and Speedy Petey saying goodnight, and we'll talk to you then. Good night, everybody.